love blinds, God hears. Love blinds, and God hears. So come with me back to verse 1 of chapter 16. Verse 1 of chapter 16. Uh, And here we see Samson over and over and over again. Driven, untempered by his lusts. Keeps finding himself right in the heart of bad romances. And three times in the story of Samson, chapter 14, he decides and demands of his parents that he be wed to a Philistine woman. We'll think a bit more about the danger of that. Here we see him pursuing and spending the night with a prostitute. And then again, we find him pursuing once more a Philistine woman, Delilah, over and over and over again. His pursuit, driven by lusts of bad romances, leads him into places of dangerous consequences. Over and over again, he takes the wrong path, driving down, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care what this might lead to because all that drives him is these lusts for these women. And there's two reasons why we say that these are bad romances. First, as we're saying there, they they lead him into these positions of danger. And have a look at verse 1. Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute and he went into her. Verse 4. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Delilah was one of the people of the the Philistine people. So Samson was one of the people of Israel and the Philistines were the enemies. Samson's job as the judge of Israel was to protect his people. And the people he most needed to protect his people from were the Philistines. And instead of protecting his people, he was binding himself to his enemies, drawing them closer and closer including himself into danger. Samson is driven by his lusts, leading him into danger continuously, and this sums up his life. But secondly, look at the kind of relationship that he's driving himself into, particularly here with Delilah. It's just dysfunctional, isn't it? He meets this woman, and the first thing that happens is she is bribed by the lords, the Philistine lords, to try to steal the secret of Samson's great power and strength, which is over and over again brought victory for Israel over the Philistines. We see it here in her deceit and treachery, how over and over again she tries to find ways to get him to open up so that she might sell the secret and sell him into slavery and down the river. So Samson isn't the good guy in this story either. Three different times we see him lying to his wife, well, not his wife, his lover, when she begs him for the secret. Now, as 
I've only been married for six years, but one lesson I've learned is telling lies over and over again to my wife isn't going to get me anywhere good at all. But here we see then, over and over and over again, driving himself deeper and deeper and deeper into more dangerous territory. Um, a couple of years ago, I remember reading an article in the Times. It was an article about bad relationships. And, and one particular story, they interviewed a number of people who had got into and gotten out of bad relationships. And one man in particular, his line stood out for me. He said this, that the relationship he was in was caught always between two poles, one pole or the other, never anywhere in between. It was the love fest and the tempest. Either they were caught up with one another or they were ripping one another apart. And that's the kind of situation in which we find Samson and Delilah. Samson is intoxicated by her. He is not motivated, inspired by love for her, but driven by his lust for her. You've probably forgotten that old proverb, haven't you? Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And what we see here through this story of Samson is that it matches up with the larger picture of the book of Judges. From the beginning of Judges, there is this slow, yet unbreaking, downward spiral amongst the people of Israel. It follows the story of many different judges, and life in Israel keeps getting worse and worse and worse. As the people go downward and downward and downward and further and further and further away from God. And this is all matched up in the life, in the decisions, in the trajectory of Samson himself. Samson, in a sense, is kind of like a microcosm of the state of all of Israel, of all of the people of God. Have a look with me at verse 15. This is maybe one of the key verses here. Look at what Delilah asks him. And she said to him, how can you say, I love you, when your heart is not with me? You see, ultimately, this is the center of this. This is her drive. This is what she wants, is him to give up his heart. To give up his heart is to give up everything, his very self, to her. Uh, I'm a big rugby fan, and one of the songs I've heard often when watching Wales play is them singing, Why, 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 Delilah. You know, that classic song by... Tom Jones. It's only a few years ago that I actually read the lyrics to that song and I thought, what are you doing singing that at a rugby match? The song is dark. It's probably not as dark as what we see here, 
fancy. Uh, what I want us to do is just to shift that around a little bit. And here's a question that we're asking. We're using this question to pose this to Samson ourselves. Why, 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 Delilah? Why are you going to give your heart to her? Why are you going to divulge your secrets to her? Why are you going to surrender yourself to her? Um, Right at the beginning of the the story of Samson, uh, chapter 13, verse 5. You see, Samson, the story of Samson begins with Manoah and his wife. His wife wasn't able to have children. They prayed, and here they were given this gift, this son. And when he was given to them, they in return gave him back to the Lord, consecrating, setting him apart. And in chapter 13, verse 5, we see this. Here is his purpose. Here we see. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite. We'll think about that a little bit later. Keep that in your head. To God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. You see here, Samson, his mission, his purpose, set apart from the Lord to deliver his people from the Philistines, and here he's giving his heart and binding himself to her. Over and over and over again, driven by his lust, he drives himself further and further and deeper and deeper and deeper into dangerous places. And the heart of the issue here, the heart of the issue here is Samson's heart. Verse 15 again. How can you say you love me when your heart is not with me? Look at verse 17. Pressed and pushed and prodded by her, and he told her all his heart. Verse 18. You see, when Delilah saw that he told her all his heart. She sent and called the Lord to the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Christianity is a religion primarily, fundamentally, of the heart. Not in the way that we consider heart. We try to make differences between the head and the heart. But the heart is the very kind of control center of life. And by Samson giving that away, he is giving away his worship and his loyalty from God and to another. Think of that, what what we were called to, what the people of Israel were called to. The Lord, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And in this moment, he has surrendered it. He's giving it away to someone else. couple of years ago, I was talking to uh, a friend, an elder in another church, and he was telling me uh, the story of how he came to become a Christian. He was in his early 40s, and it was this wonderful story of how God transformed his life. 
And you see, he was the very first person, the only person in his entire family that was a Christian. His wife wasn't, his children weren't, his siblings weren't, his parents weren't. He was the only one. And within days of becoming a Christian, he felt compelled and driven to say to his wife, I love God more than I love you. Now again, might be the kind of thing you just want to think in your head. You don't really need to share that with anyone else. But you see, by giving his greatest and truest love and affection to God, his love for his wife did not dim, but became more radiant. If you knew this man and the trials he and his wife had gone through over the two decades since he became a Christian, you see a man who would give anything to serve his wife, driven by a deeper and truer love for the God who gave everything for him. Um, Christians of old have talked about uh, and framed sin as a disordered love. As in our hearts were made to be only truly satisfied in God alone. And sin is shifting away from God. And the problem is the promise is always greater, but it is always empty. And so here, Samson has given away his heart to Delilah. And what is the consequence for Samson? Ultimately, he becomes a slave, not just to her, but to his enemies. So he, he gives away the story. He, he gives away his secret, telling her that the strength is in his hair. Now, I want to say later on, that's not entirely where his strength comes from. There's nothing inherent within his hair. He doesn't have any wonderful toxins that are in there or anything like that. His strength comes from the spirit of the Lord. But we'll see and we'll understand in a moment why that's the case. But here he tells her that if my hair is to be cut, I will lose my strength. So one night she cuts off his hair. She finally calls in the Philistines and cannot break the ropes. His strength is no more. His strength has come from God and has been withdrawn from him. You see, by having his hair shaved, he broke the most prominent Nazarite vow. You see, there were three key elements of being a Nazarite. A Nazarite was someone consequently consecrated, set apart for God. And the three key parts of it, no alcohol were to touch your lips. You were to never touch a dead person. And no scissors were to touch your hair. The most prominent, the most obvious one was the long hair. And by cutting it off here, we're seeing that he's cutting himself off from God. And God cuts himself off from him. In verse 20, the most, one of the most sobering lines in scripture. You see here, and he said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep. And said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. As the 
the Lord has withdrew from him. This is the word of caution to the people of Israel. This book written to the people of Israel as they are in the land and what it looks like to live for God. This word still for us as God's people, a word of caution for us. Remember, Samson was kind of like a a small version of Israel. And here is the warning that those who continually go against God's word, go against God's will, go against his purposes, God withdraws himself from them. And what happens then is God withdraws his presence and Samson is taken into captivity and slaughtered. This is the punishment for him. And this is the warning to Israel. This is what happens to Israel. In the prophet Ezekiel, he tells them that after they refuse to listen to him in their hard-heartedness, God withdraws his presence from the temple and the people are taken into slavery and captivity in the land of Babylon. This is the warning, a word of caution to us all. And we see here Samson, blinded by love, then is literally blinded by those that he has taken into captivity with. And so here's a question for us. Is Samson someone for us to look up to? Is he someone for us to look up to or is he someone for us to run away from? Should we look up to him? Should we run away from him? Yes. This is what we're going to see here. Here he is a warning, a caution to us. He is blinded by love, but he is also heard by God. He is blinded by his love, or we might more accurately say by his lust, his disordered love, but he's heard by God. Our second point then this evening as we walk through this chapter, as we explore Samson, As we see here, verses 23 to 31, God hears. God hears. And what we see then in Samson is, while he is a warning to us, we also get a glimpse. We also get a sight of true, real, authentic faith. So here the the, the story continues Samson is brought down into slavery. And the Philistines think, brilliant, this shows our God is for us. Dagon, the one whom we have bent down and given our hearts to, he is victorious. He is triumphant. He has won. And the God of Samson, Yahweh, he is weak insignificant, small, impotent. We serve the true and real God. 
and that is shown because his deliverer, his person, is now our trophy of victory. But that's not the true story that we see here. That's not the true story we see here because what we don't see is that God is in control and God has shown it by Samson's flight. Samson's flight doesn't tell us about who Dagon is, but it tells us who God is, who is righteous and holy. Here they put on a party to celebrate this. This is, he is their trophy of victory. He is pulled out to perform for them. To give them a chance to celebrate once more. So here he's, the man of great strength is now a man of real weakness. He is a man who has been brought to his end. And don't we know this? That when people are brought to their end, isn't that the time when people call on God? When people see their limits, isn't that the time we stop looking at ourselves? When we're down in the dust, down in the grime, face down in the mud, isn't that the time that we look upwards? If that's you this evening, come here and you know that you've got nothing else to give look at Samson look at Samson Samson's prayer here is one of true real authentic faith verse 28 then Samson called to the Lord and said oh Lord God remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged in the Philistines for my two eyes. Uh, one of the reasons why this question comes up, is Samson good or bad? Is he someone to run away from or to look up to is because of something we see where he is mentioned in the New Testament. Uh, the author of Hebrews tells us this. It's in Hebrews chapter 11, a chapter well known as the heroes of faith. I don't really like that title because some of them aren't really particularly heroes, including Samson himself. We might consider it the hall of faith because it shows us that our understanding of faith must, un must be understood within the light of God's word and the surprise of those who are truly believers. And Hebrews chapter 11, you can jot it down, look at it later. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Now, here's maybe a little bit of homework for you to do this week. Read through the book of Judges. 
and tell me which of the judges would you want to put in here? List them from the top to the bottom. Top most worthy, bottom least worthy. Who should be put into a list when it comes to true and real faith? And Jephthah and Samson would be right at the very bottom. And here they are named as pictures, as glimpses of sites for true, real, authentic faith. Isn't it incredible that Samson here is lifted up as someone for us to look to? Now see, when I remember when I first looked through this passage, I wanted to explain this away. Surely he's not a picture of what a true Christian looks like. He can't really be the one. He's not going to be the one that they're going to write a biography of by a Christian publisher, are they? He's not going to be one that's held up, but here he is held up to us because real faith is someone who recognizes their weakness and calls on God and his strength. True faith reorders our hearts, fixes our love on the truly strong the truly good, the truly sovereign, the truly faithful one. And so I think two, two things that I'd want us to see as we see this site of true faith here, it's two Bs. First, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is words that come directly from Ephesians chapter 6. Um, just quickly, the, the letter of Ephesians in the New Testament, it's all built on this part in chapter 1 where Jesus, the one who died, is risen and is now reigning and ruling over all the powers, over all the authorities. Jesus was, in his death and resurrection, has defeated sin, death, and the devil himself. He is ruling and reigning. And the call for God's people is to find their strength and their power in him. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. But the other B that I want to see here is not just be strong, but believe in God's promised savior. Believe in God's promised savior. What you believe in matters. Not the strength of your faith, but the strength of the one that you believe in. Uh, to maybe just to illustrate this in a more trivial way. I remember earlier on this year when Scotland were playing Spain in Hampden Park. Now imagine you go to the stadium and you see a Spanish supporter and a Scottish supporter sat, sat next to each other. And you ask them, how do you think it's going to go? And you speak to the Scottish supporter and say, well, we've been improving, but the death of many a Scotsman has been hope that's been given to them. So... Maybe, I think we might win, but I'm just not confident. You speak to the Spanish supporters and they say to you, have you seen how good we've been over the last couple of decades? We are going to walk this. I didn't even know they played football in Scotland. Whose faith was vindicated at the end of that game? Not the one with strong confidence, but the Scottish fan. Strangely, it was a Scottish fan whose faith went vindicated strangely 
least Samson, his status was given to those who hear him. As he believed in God to deliver him, in God's promised Savior. And here, this is where we finish. Because I think maybe this is most surprising of all. Not just that we see a sight of true faith in Samson, but we see a shadow of the faithful one in him. The kind of big overarching picture here is this battle between the God of the Philistines and the God of Israel. Dagon and Yahweh. And God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, he shows his strength through weakness. As you hear this story, as Samson is between these two pillars. And he has one moment of strength knocking down the pillars, losing his life and taking the life of all those with him. Do you hear any echoes of something deeper, richer, of another story within that? Here we see a shadow, an echo, a picture of a greater, richer salvation for God's people. It's how the Apostle Paul put it when he said this, that Jesus disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in the cross. You see, here was the great surprise. At the cross, when Jesus was humiliated, weak, worn down by suffering, worn down by flogging, bleeding, left alone. In his death, he defeated death. In his death, he nullified the power of the enemy. In his death, he put the enemy to open shame. As Samson takes down his enemies with him, so does Jesus do that on his cross and in his resurrection. And so let me finish by saying this. And I hope this is what you might do as we consider this story, the life of Samson. Behold victory in death. Believe in the weak savior and be strong in our great Lord. Let's pray together.